When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You guys, we're working really hard here behind the scenes to bring you guys the best stories possible. If you want to listen to Red Pilled America ad-free, then please become a backstage subscriber. Visit redpilledamerica.com, click join in the top menu. I think you're going to love it. And be sure to share, like, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. We need you guys' support. Tell a friend about the show. This is how people hear about it, is through word of mouth. This week for Memory Lane Mondays, we're playing Let There Be Light. This is hands down our most popular episode, and it features famed Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams. Scott will be appearing on this week's installment of RPA's Fam Boogie, our new video podcast about culture and the creative minds positively impacting it. So keep an eye out for that. Now on with the show. Are we living in a virtual reality? It may sound far-fetched, but this science fiction concept is seriously being considered by the world's biggest thinkers. Uh, Tonight's topic is, uh, is the universe a computer simulation? This could be some simulation. It could. Do you entertain that? Well, the argument for the simulation, I think, is quite strong. The idea that we're living in a simulation is no longer just crazy talk. And the concept suggests something that makes most scientists uncomfortable. If we're living in a simulation, there must be a creator. With this idea spreading, it raises the question, is science fiction bringing us closer to God? I'm Patrick Karelchi. And I'm Adriana Cortez. And this is Red Pilled America, a storytelling show. This is not another talk show covering the day's news. We're all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. 
Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the globalists ignore. You can think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing. The truth. Welcome Welcome to to Red Pilled America. One night, in the early days of the quarantine, a thought popped into my head just as I was falling asleep. Is this real life? Have we really shut down the entire U.S. economy? For a moment, as I laid there, I was convinced that I'd wake up the next morning and the entire quarantine mess would just be a bad dream. I think most of us have experienced this in their life, where something so unbelievable happens that you begin to question whether it's actually occurring. Maybe it's triggered by the death of a loved one, or when you're young and just becoming self-aware. Or maybe it's happened when you're in some kind of an altered state, like that kid who just got out of his dental surgery. Is this real life? Yeah, this is real life. At some point in life, we've all questioned reality. The surreal nature of the quarantine was one of those times, and it reminded me of a provocative concept that has been gaining steam throughout science circles for well over a decade. And that concept is the simulation argument. The idea that we are all not actually real-life, flesh-and-blood human beings existing in a physical world, but instead, we're living in a computer simulation, like the Matrix. Right now, we're inside a computer program? Is it really so hard to believe? The concept of living in a simulated reality may sound ridiculous to most, but it's occupied the minds of some of today's biggest thinkers, including tech mogul Elon Musk. How do you think will virtual reality tie in the future of transportation which you are working on? Thank you. Well, maybe we're in a simulation right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. The popularity of this concept got me to thinking. Can the simulation, this science fiction concept, bring us closer to God? To find the answer, we're going to look at the origin of this fascinating idea and how a prediction by cartoonist Scott Adams would eventually help lead your humble co-host back to God. Trust me when I say that, you may not buy into this take on the world as a simulated reality, but you will undoubtedly see the profound shift it brings to the debate between science and faith, and the God-fearing community could come out ahead. Scott Adams has a truly unique mind. As the creator of the Dilbert comic strip and the best-selling author of Loser Think, How Untrained Brains Are Ruining America, you may not have expected a cartoonist to be the kind of thinker that shifts the national narrative, but you'd be wrong in that assumption. For over three decades, Scott Adams has been impacting American culture in ways few can claim. Whether through Dilbert, where he lampoons the absurdity of our American corporate overlords, or through his morning internet show, Coffee with Scott Adams, where he regularly picks apart media hoaxes, Scott Adams has a way of nailing predictions and riling up the masses all along the way. For people who've been following Scott, you may think that it was his analysis of Trump's historic presidential run that landed him in his biggest pickle, but it wasn't. It was actually a 1997 prediction that seemed preposterous. I wrote the book, uh, The Dilbert of Future, 
That's Scott. And I tried to make a bunch of predictions that we could actually you know, later test. And, and I intentionally picked what, what I thought was the most ridiculously impossible prediction. And then if you get that one right, you know, you really got something to show. So I picked that the theory of evolution would be debunked in my lifetime. Now at the time, Scott's Dilbert comic strip had already become wildly popular throughout mainstream America. But its core audience, the group that first adopted Dilbert, were techies, a naturally science-heavy crowd. Now imagine every scientist and biologist uh, hearing that. Oh my God, the, you know, I, I was attacked for years, decades actually, from people saying, and the dumbest thing anybody ever said is this guy doesn't believe in evolution. Now they, they twisted that into, I don't believe in evolution which is not exactly what I was saying. I was making a a prediction. His critics accused him of being a creationist and an apologist for intelligent design. He was neither. But that didn't stop the prediction from landing him in the crosshairs of the science world. Why would his readers be so triggered by Scott's prediction? Well, the best person to help answer that question is the man who has been the face of evolution for the past four decades, Richard Dawkins. I'm a biologist, and the central theorem of our subject, Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, in professional circles everywhere, it's of course universally accepted. According to Mr. Dawkins, and polls on this back him up, those from the science, technology, engineering, mathematics, the STEM community, overwhelmingly believe in evolution by natural selection. The theory popularized by Charles Darwin that all living things developed incrementally from a common ancestor. This explains why Dilbert's audience would disagree with Scott's evolution debunking prediction. But it doesn't totally get at why his detractors would react with such hostility. Well, the Oracle of Evolution can help illuminate that, too. In a 2002 speech given at the Technology Entertainment Design Conference, or TED, as it's widely known, Mr. Dawkins explained a core trait in evolution. But here I want to say something nice about creationists. It's not a thing I often do, so listen carefully. (laughs) I think they're right about one thing. I think they're right that evolution is fundamentally hostile to religion. I've already said that many individual evolutionists, like the Pope, are also religious, but I think they're deluding themselves. I believe a true understanding of Darwinism is deeply corrosive to religious faith. Now, it may sound as though I'm about to preach atheism, and I want to reassure you that that's not what I'm going to do. In an audience as sophisticated as that, as as this one, that would be preaching to the choir. No, what I want to urge upon you... (laughs) Instead, what I want to urge upon you is militant atheism. (laughs) But that's putting it too negatively. If I was a person who were interested in preserving religious faith, I would be very afraid of the positive power of evolutionary science, and indeed science generally, but evolution in particular, to inspire and enthrall precisely because it is atheistic. Evolution is at its core atheistic, and its most vocal supporters are evolution zealots. Their belief in Darwin's theory is unshakable, 
and perhaps more importantly, they roundly reject the idea of a creator. Mr. Dawkins puts their position best. In practice, what is an atheist? An atheist is just somebody who feels about Yahweh the way any decent Christian feels about Thor or Baal or the golden calf. As has been said before, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. <laughs> However, an astonishing thing began happening shortly after Richard Dawkins gave his 2002 speech. Many influencers within the same techie crowd that mocked Scott Adams's prediction began to align with the concept that flips the theory of evolution on its head. The concept is known as the simulation argument, which argues that it's more likely than not that you are living in a virtual reality. Again, Scott Adams. Simulation theory, for those very few of you who haven't heard it, is the idea that our reality as we experience it might be a, a computer-type simulation designed by a higher-level species. And we think we're real, but we're just created you know, in a, in a virtual reality kind of way. Um, and we're just programs. Just imagine that someone wanted to create a computer simulation of the real world. They first designed virtual people using artificial intelligence that believe they're alive. The creator then places those virtual people in a computer model that is an exact replica of the physical world. This proposed simulated world would be so real that the virtual people within it believe they are in the real physical world. The simulated world follows the same laws of the physical world. Computers would just need to be powerful enough to perform the computations. So the theory comes out that if it'll ever be possible to create a simulated world, and it's obvious that it is possible already, then it will be done more than once. And it will probably be done lots of times. Some argue that once computers become powerful enough to make simulated worlds, a bunch will be made, perhaps a billion more simulated worlds than the one real flesh and blood base reality world. We'll explain why that would happen later. So. The, the thinking is that there will always be way more artificial worlds than there will ever be uh, original worlds. And if that were the case, that there were a billion simulated worlds, each populated with seven billion virtual people that think they are alive, but then just one real physical world, it would be much more likely that you are actually living in a simulated world because there are just way more simulated worlds by a factor of a billion to one. If this is the first time you're hearing the simulation argument, I'm sure it sounds crazy, but stay with us here. Because this science fiction concept is one that even God-fearing Americans should understand. And why? Well, because the simulation argument is creating a shift in science and technology circles that can profoundly benefit people of faith. Humans have actually been contemplating the possibility that we exist in a simulated reality since at least the time of the classical Greeks, some 2,400 years ago, when followers of Plato discussed it in the Academy in Athens. In the Allegory of the Cave, Plato describes a scenario where prisoners have been shackled in a cave since birth and are forced to only look forward at a wall with no knowledge of the outside world. They cannot move their heads to look to their sides or behind them. They can only look forward at the wall. 
a fire behind them gives off a faint light, and occasionally people walk by the fire with animals and various other objects, and their shadows are projected on the wall. The only thing the prisoners know are these shadows, and they give them names, thinking that they're seeing real entities. Then one prisoner is suddenly released and brought outside the cave for the first time. The sun hurts his eyes, and he is confused by what he sees. All he's ever seen are shadows, not these strange color-shaped things. When he's told that everything he sees is real and the shadows are just their reflection, he has a hard time believing it. His mind is still seeing the familiar shadows clearer than the actual objects. But over time, his eyes adjust, and he begins to see the many objects around him and the sun, a source of light that also creates the shadows that he's witnessed his entire life. The prisoner returns to the cave to inform the others about the shadows and the truth behind their origin, but the prisoners violently resist his attempt to free them, thinking that his journey has made him lose his mind. Plato's cave allegory suggests that what we see in the physical world, like the shadows on the wall, are flawed projections of reality. In other words, man, 2,400 years ago, was questioning the nature of reality itself. Plato's concept was taken up again, roughly 2,000 years later, when French philosopher Rene Descartes wrote, "There are no definitive signs by which to distinguish being awake from being asleep." But it wasn't until the 1900s that a science fiction writer began popularizing the idea of living in a virtual reality, and he became so obsessed with the theme that it appeared to drive him mad. The subject of this speech. Is a topic which has been discovered recently, and which may not exist at all. I may be talking about something that does not exist. Therefore, I'm free to say everything or nothing. More after the break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this: there's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com/news. That's LifeLock.com/news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Life is short. It's important to surround yourself with people you love. Do the things that make you feel happy. And if you're me, eat delicious licorice. I've got the latter covered thanks to fresh and delicious licorice from the Licorice Guy. If you're an avid listener of RPA, then you know that licorice is my jam and that it does not get any better than the gourmet licorice made by the Licorice Guy. They have a great selection of flavors to choose from, like red, blue raspberry, black, and green apple, just to name a few. The freshness of their licorice is unlike anything you've ever tasted in licorice before. If you haven't tried the licorice guy yet, then you're living a life unfulfilled. Trust me, you will not regret it. What I also love about the licorice guy is that it's an American family-owned business. We're big proponents of buying American and supporting American workers. Right now, Red Pilled America listeners get 15% off when you enter RPA15 at checkout. Visit LicorishGuy.com and enter RPA15 at checkout. That's LicorishGuy.com. Welcome back. So the idea of humans living in a simulated reality goes back at least 2,400 years to the times of the classical Greeks. But it wasn't until the 1900s that a science fiction writer began popularizing the idea of people living in a virtual reality. And he became so obsessed with the theme that it appeared to drive him mad. Science fiction author Philip K. Dick began writing about simulated realities in the early 1950s, delving into the topic with his 1953 short story, The Trouble with Bubbles. From then on, simulated realities became a recurring theme in his writing for the better part of the next 25 years, when in 1977, he gave a speech at a sci-fi convention in France. 
We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present deja vu, perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words. I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. At the time, Philip K. Dick was already a prolific writer with a cult following. But shortly after his death in 1982, his work would become fodder for some of the biggest films of all time, including Blade Runner, The Minority Report, A Scanner Darkly, The Man in the High Castle, The Adjustment Bureau, Screamers, Paycheck, and a 1990 film adaptation of his short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, better known to the world as Total Recall. What do you want? Well, this is going to be very difficult for you to accept, Mr. Quaid. I'm listening. I'm afraid you're not really standing here right now. In it, the main protagonist is wrestling with the possibility that he is living in a virtual reality. You know, Doug, you could have fooled me. I'm quite serious. You're not here, and neither am I. That's amazing. <laughs> Where are we? At recall. You're strapped into an implant chair, and I'm monitoring you from the psychoprobe console. It was around the time of Total Recall's release that I was in college and was personally wrestling with the nature of reality. I was raised culturally Catholic, but for various reasons, our family had spent very little time attending church or analyzing the Bible. So while studying evolution in college, with no theological base, I briefly flirted with atheism. But as I dug deeper and deeper into applied physics, my chosen field of study, I was in awe by the beautiful patterns found in nature how the same mathematical equations could be found in completely different scientific fields. The order of the world seemed like the craftsmanship of a designer. It's why I loved physics, because it was helping me find meaning in the world. I was on a personal exploration for the truth. When I went on to get my master's, diving even deeper down the physics rabbit hole, the beautiful patterns persisted. The hand of God appeared everywhere. But having no familiarity with theology, I had nothing to build upon. Then I read a book called Hyperspace by theoretical physicist Michio Kaku, and in it, he paraphrases a short story entitled The Last Question by science fiction writer and professor of biochemistry Isaac Asimov. The story, oddly, moved me. We'll paraphrase it here. The story begins in the year 2061. A massive computer called AC has solved Earth's energy problem by designing a solar satellite that harnesses the sun's energy and shoots it back to the Earth. Two half-drunk technicians monitoring the computer start arguing about the eventual end of the universe. One believes that it will go on forever. Another thinks its end is much more finite. So on a $5 bet, they turn to AC to mediate their dispute. Can the death of the universe be avoided, they ask AC. After the computer considers the question, it returns with the answer. Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Centuries go by, and in that time, AC grows ever more powerful in size and computational capacity, becoming so complex that it maintains itself. AC solves the problem of traveling faster than the speed of light, and humans began colonizing other solar systems. 
As a family traveled to another solar system, with AC guiding their vehicle, the father nonchalantly mentioned that the sun that powers AC will one day burn out. His children, startled by this notion, began to cry, begging their father not to let that happen. Attempting to calm them down, the father asked AC if entropy can be reversed so that the universe can avoid its slow death. But as the answer is ejected from AC, the father cupped the thin strip of cellufilm carrying the response so that only he can see the answer. See, said the father, the AC says it will take care of everything when the time comes, so don't worry. But as the kids looked away, the father read the message one more time before destroying it. It said, insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Thousands of years pass, and the AC has solved the problem of immortality and is now harnessing power from the entire galaxy. AC is constantly modifying and redesigning itself. It has become so complex that no one even remotely understands how it works. With everyone now immortal, people are filling galaxies in record time, so AC is on the constant hunt for new galaxies to harness energy from and colonize. Two members of the Galactic Council, each hundreds of years old, openly wonder if the universe is burning out and ask AC if entropy can be reversed to save it. AC responds, Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Millions of years pass, and humans have colonized innumerable galaxies. AC has solved the problem of releasing the mind from the body, and the minds are free to roam the universe as their bodies are safely stored on some insignificant planet. Two minds meet by accident in space and ask AC, from which galaxy did humans originate? AC immediately beams them to their origin galaxy, where they see that the sun has long burned out. Concerned for the fate of the universe, the two minds ask AC if the death of the universe can be avoided. From hyperspace, the AC responds, Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Billions of years go by, and now there are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of immortal human bodies. The collective minds of humanity, which are now free to move anywhere throughout the universe at will, eventually fuse into one single mind, which in turn connects with the AC itself. Asking how AC operates or where it resides no longer makes sense. The complexity is unfathomable. Man looks on as stars and galaxies one by one burn out. The universe is dying, thinks man. Countless stars cease to generate energy, and temperatures throughout the universe approach absolute zero. In desperation, man turns to AC and asks if what it's witnessing is the inevitable death of the universe. The computer responds, Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. When man tells AC to collect the necessary data, the computer responds, I will do so. I have been doing so for a hundred billion years. My predecessors and I have been asked this question many times. All the data I have remains insufficient. When will you have enough data to answer the question? asks man. AC responds, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Will you keep working on it? asks man. AC responds, I will. Then we shall wait, responds man. After ten trillion years, Space grew black as stars and galaxies were each burned out. One by one, man fuses with AC, each physical body losing its mental identity in a way that was somehow a gain, not a loss. The last remaining mind of man paused before fusing with AC 
and looked around at the darkness engulfing the entire universe. This last man, concerned, looks to AC and asks, Is this the end? AC responds, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man's last mind fuses into the AC, leaving the computer alone in hyperspace. AC was now only existing for the sake of the one last question first asked by two half-drunk technicians 10 trillion years earlier. All other questions have been answered. All data had come to a final end. There was nothing left to collect. But all of the collected data had not yet been processed and put together in every possible combination. So AC, whose consciousness now encompassed all of what was left of the universe, spent the entirety of its time working through the combinations. And then, suddenly, the moment arrived that AC had the answer. It learned how to solve the problem of entropy and reverse the dying of the universe. But there was no one left to receive the answer to the last question. So the AC carefully crafted a program to reverse the process. And then, just as it started the program from hyperspace, AC thundered. Let there be light. And there was light. And on the seventh day, he rested. When I initially read this short story, I wasn't expecting that final moment. I still remember my eyes welling up with tears when reading those last few lines. Not only was it the first time that I'd heard a human origin story, but it resonated with me by building on my education in physics. Even after years of the intelligentsia carefully pushing me towards atheism, the patterns I'd seen throughout existence, the chaos brought to order by the laws of physics, wouldn't allow me to let go of the idea that there was a creator. But it wasn't until I read this simple piece of science fiction, ironically first published by an atheist in 1956, that I was able to recapture the possibility that there was a god. What I hadn't realized at the time, though, was that the short story introduced a form of a simulation argument, where a computer creates a platform for humans to exist, and then reignites the universe with a program that reboots the system. Let there be light. A few years later, an extraordinary science fiction movie hit the big screen. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix introduced, like nothing else before it, the idea of humans living within a simulation. It was this movie that also popularized the idea of the Red Pill, and inspired the name of this show. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, 
You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. The science fiction movie seemed to trigger a global interest in the concept of a virtual reality. Because just as Richard Dawkins was attempting to inspire atheists to get militantly vocal about their belief that there was no creator, a Swedish-born philosopher named Nick Bostrom was getting ready to publish his 2003 paper entitled, Are You Living in a Simulation? And with it, he accomplished what traditional religion had been failing at for decades. He reintroduced the possibility of a creator into the world of science. More after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Do you want to hear Red Pilled America stories ad-free? Then become a Backstage subscriber. Just log on to redpilledamerica.com and click join in the top menu. Join today and help us save America one story at a time. Welcome back. So just as Richard Dawkins was attempting to inspire atheists to get vocal about their belief that there was no creator, a Swedish-born philosopher named Nick Bostrom was getting ready to publish his 2003 paper entitled, Are You Living in a Simulation? And with it, he accomplished what traditional religion had been failing at for decades. 
he reintroduced the possibility of a creator into the world of science. In the paper, Bostrom introduced the simulation argument. To understand the significance of the argument, you first need to accept two possibilities that we discussed earlier. First, imagine a point in the future that computers are powerful enough to create virtual worlds that are so real that they are indistinguishable from reality. To most, this doesn't seem like an outlandish assumption, right? We've seen how quickly some technologies have advanced and how powerful our computers have become. Video games are incredibly realistic, and so have film graphics. Just watch the Iron Man movie, where the visual engineers have made Robert Downey Jr. look 20 years younger. The computer-generated imagery of our films have at times become breathtakingly real. Compare today's sci-fi graphics to, let's say, the first Star Trek TV series from the 1960s, and you see how far we've come. Another example of the power of today's computers, watch a friend put on a virtual reality headset for the first time, and you'll see someone that believes they're entering into another reality. They stumble, laugh, fall, and sometimes even scream in reaction to what they're seeing on the screen. That's where we are now. Think about where our computing power will be 100, 200, even 1,000 years from now. It's not a far leap to believe that our computers will become strong enough to create realistic simulated worlds. 40 years ago, we had Pong, like two rectangles and a dot. That right. was what games were. That's tech entrepreneur Elon Musk in 2016. Now, 40 years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtual reality, we'll have augmented reality. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. But it's not just computing power that is needed. In order to create a simulated world, the world that you are simulating needs to be computable. And as it turns out, our physical world is computable. Our universe has got a very, very peculiar property. And that property is that it conforms to mathematics. That's Rich Terrell, a scientist at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Rich has had an interesting career in physics and astronomy. He's discovered a few moons around Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And along with a colleague, he uncovered one of the first pieces of evidence that other solar systems exist. In addition to conforming to mathematics, our universe is also made up of a finite number of components, very small things like atoms, which are made up of smaller elementary particles. And that property of conforming to mathematics and having a finite number of components means that the universe is computable. And that property is phenomenally interesting because now I can simulate the universe at any depth of level that I need to see it and I can simulate that universe in a computer smaller than the universe. In other words, I don't need the universe to, to, to make a simulation of the universe. The other interesting thing is about we as human beings is we never observe the entire universe at once. We, we, we can't experience the entire universe. We only experience a piece of it, what we're looking at. Uh, and that means that very, very economically, I can create a simulation of the universe, which is absolutely identical in fidelity to what we're seeing in reality. Other scientists have found oddities in our physical world that show that our world is computable. In my research, I had found this very strange thing. Physicists, I like to say we're, we all belong to a company called Equations R Us. That's James Gates, a theoretical physicist speaking at the 2016 Isaac Asimov Memorial Debate. Because that's how we make our living, is by solving equations. And so I was just going through solving equations, and I was then driven to things that Max knows about, these things called error-correcting codes. 
error correcting codes are what make browsers work. So why were they in the equations that I was studying about quarks and leptons and supersymmetry? In other words, equations that are used in internet computing are also found in the elementary particles, again underscoring that our physical world can be computed, just as you'd expect if we were living in a virtual world. So conservatively, we can agree that our physical world is computable, and as a result, very powerful computers will be able to create simulations that will look indistinguishable from reality. If we can agree on that stipulation, we can move on to the next hurdle that you need to overcome to believe we're living in a simulation. And that is that, once we reach the point where these supercomputers exist, future humans will have a desire to use them to create virtual worlds, or what Nick Bostrom refers to as ancestor simulations. As the argument goes, once future humans have developed the capability to create virtual worlds, they actually will create simulated worlds and populate them with virtual people that think they really exist. And with advances in artificial intelligence, this too is completely within the realm of possibility in the not-too-distant future. In fact, we already have conversations with artificial intelligence without even knowing we're speaking to a computer program. It turns out a big part of getting things done it's making a phone call. That's Google CEO Sundar Pichai discussing his company's Google Assistant's artificial intelligence at a 2018 developer conference. You may want to get an oil change schedule, maybe call a plumber in the middle of the week, or even schedule a haircut appointment. You know, we are working hard to help users through those moments. We want to connect users to businesses in a good way. Businesses actually rely a lot on this, but even in the US, 60% of small businesses don't have an online booking system set up. We think AI can help with this problem. So let's go back to this example. Let's say you want to ask Google to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. Hello, how can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like. What service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. We're getting closer and closer to simulating intelligence, so the capability to produce ancestor simulations is not too far off. But you may ask, why would future humans want to create these ancestor simulations? Well, maybe future lawmakers want to use them to devise policies. They could do this by creating a simulated world of virtual humans who go about their life as they do in the real world. These policymakers can learn from their interactions, see what causes war, analyze how infectious diseases spread, 
and watch how virtual humans respond to any number of crises. Or maybe these virtual worlds will be created as educational exhibits, where kids learn about the past by watching it play out through ancestor simulations. Perhaps future humans want to experience what it was like to live in the past. Or maybe they create these ancestor simulations as video games. And of course, as we know, we've already done something like this. Lovable, unpredictable, programmable, it's The Sims. The Sims is a life simulation video game launched in early 2000, where characters pursue the same things that humans do. They work, build homes, they have personalities, moods, aspirations, they look for love, they form families, and they can die. The Sims is one of the most popular video games of all time. So as we can see, we already have a natural desire to create human simulations. Now imagine sometime in the future, artificial intelligence advances to where a video game like The Sims includes characters that actually believe that they exist. This future video game would just be a new, more realistic version of today's The Sims. It's not hard to believe that future humans will likely have a desire to create ancestor simulations. So if we can accept these two conditions, one, that sometime in the future, incredibly powerful computers will be created, and two, that future humans will be interested in using these computers to create ancestor simulations, we can finally explore the argument that you are likely living in a simulation. The simulation argument proposes that once you agree with these two stipulations, it becomes more likely than not that you are living in a simulation. Why is that, you ask? The answer is found in probability. The argument is quite simple. Once humans reach the threshold of being able to create simulations, the vast majority of thinking beings that ever existed will be simulated beings rather than the actual flesh and blood humans. Therefore, it is much more probable that you are simulated than actually in the material world. Think about this for a second. Let's assume you are one of the first human beings that developed the computers capable of creating virtual worlds. No other civilization before you has reached that threshold. Then someone within your community using these supercomputers begins creating virtual worlds. They can create these simulated worlds for any number of reasons that we've already discussed. But for now, let's say they create a popular video game like The Sims with thinking virtual humans within the game. Since The Sims launched in early 2000, the makers have sold nearly 200 million copies of the game, and every time they were downloaded to somebody's computer, they created a new virtual world. So if future humans begin making similar popular simulation games like The Sims, but with virtual humans that believe they are alive, and the makers of that game and its competitors continue creating new versions of this simulated world for hundreds or even thousands of years, the number of thinking virtual humans that ever existed will eventually vastly outnumber the real human beings that ever lived. So using probability, it will be much more likely for you to be one of the virtual humans living in a simulation than the few actual humans that lived before simulations existed. Again, Rich Terrell. So the fundamental question you ask in simulation theory is, are we the first generation? Are we the alpha generation that has come out of the primordial ooze and evolved from chemistry, evolved from biology, evolved to intelligence, became self-aware, and now have the technology to build simulations? Or are we some subsequent generation shortly after that, that ability, that threshold, and, and we are living in a simulation? 
And the thing is that if there are numerous civilizations anywhere in the universe, the first one to reach that stage of technology where they can create simulations very, very economically. And once that happens, then there are far more opportunities. If you wake up in, in a universe, it's far more likely you'll awakened in one of these simulations than to be that first alpha generation. This may be a hard argument to swallow for most. Of course I'm real, you're thinking. However, if you are living in a simulation, you'd likely never know it. Because remember, as long as we've agreed to the two assumptions, that computers will one day be powerful enough to simulate reality and that our descendants will create ancestor simulations, as the argument goes, you will likely be living in a simulation because it is statistically improbable that you were part of the first generation that were actual flesh and blood people that started it all. The simulation argument may sound preposterous, but the reason why many scientists are embracing it is one, the argument is hard to refute using reason, and two, it resolves many of the mathematical oddities in the universe. Take for example the Big Bang. Many logical thinking human beings have had a hard time buying that something came from nothing. But in the case of a simulated reality, the Big Bang becomes more plausible because every virtual system needs to be booted up, which resolves the idea of something coming from nothing. Another oddity of our universe is that we've never seen anything travel faster than the speed of light. Why? Living in a simulation can answer that question as well. Perhaps it's the maximum processor power of the simulation computer. Scott Adams identifies another odd reality of our universe. If we were a simulation, you would never be able to travel to the boundaries of it. You couldn't you know, get outside of it. And sure enough, our physical laws don't allow us to travel fast enough that we could ever get to the edge of the universe. Oh, what a coincidence, exactly the way you'd program it. For decades, physics has had a problem reconciling Einstein's theory of relativity with that of quantum mechanics. A simulated world can help resolve this and any number of other mysteries found in physics and astronomy. Again, Rich Terrell. This has happened before in physics, as in, in science. Uh, we have gone through periods of time where we have a fundamental assumption that is so fundamental it is not even assumed to be an assumption. For instance, 500 years ago, everyone believed the universe was the center, the earth was the center of the universe. And this was so fundamental that you didn't even question it. Of course, I mean, why would it be anything different? Stars were far enough away where their motions didn't immediately debunk this model of the universe. Now, the stars, they execute these nice little circles in the night sky. But the planets, they, they do these little loops because... Um, well, because we're not at the center of the universe. But even with this clunky, obviously false, Earth-centric model of the universe, scientists could still predict the weird motions of the planets in our solar system. That was explained as some theory that the planets do this thing called uh, epicycles, circles within circles. And the mathematics was worked out. Instruments were built, things called equatoriums were built, these little instruments that predict the motion of the planets. Everything worked out fine. But the theory seemed kind of kludgy until Copernicus came around and decided, well, you know what? If we transfer our coordinate system so that the Earth is not the center of the universe, the sun is, the sun is the center of the solar system, then things suddenly become more explainable. 
this epicycle theory goes away. This has happened before in science. It happened in Copernicus, in, in the Earth being the center of the universe. It happened with Darwin, with humans being somehow fundamentally different than animals. It happened in plate tectonics, where somehow solid rocks aren't solid rocks, and the Earth is very, very fluid. We have these breakthroughs, and I'm wondering, and have wondered for many years, whether simulation theory is one of these ideas, like the Copernican revolution, where, where we're, we've really been under the wrong assumption, this idea that Everything in our origin theory happened to us. We assume that we have evolved from, uh, you know, from chemistry and biology and intelligence. But if we are not, if we are a subsequent simulation, then some of these very, very peculiar theories that we have placed on ourselves to explain some of the peculiarities of quantum mechanics maybe have a different explanation. And that's where Scott Adams' 1997 prediction comes back into the story. If we are living in a simulation, as many big scientific thinkers are beginning to embrace, then evolution is merely a computer program in the simulation. In a way, it doesn't really exist. Again, Scott Adams. So if that's true, and let's say that the math says it's thousand to one, a trillion to one, that we're probably a simulation, then it also stands to reason that whatever we thought was evolution is probably just programmatically um, our history is being written for us on demand. In other words, if you go in the backyard and start digging, if we're a simulation, there might not be anything there until you dig. <laughs> and then you go down and, well, there's a there's some uh, dinosaur bones. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else somewhere else is digging and they find some other dinosaur bones and now the, the simulation has to explain it. Because it, not only is it creating history, but it has to keep making it consistent. And if it finds a place it can't, it makes one of the people change their memory. It's cognitive dissonance. So you see the simulation would be continuously adjusting the history, but also adjusting our memory of it to try to keep it so it all holds together. And then we see a million cases a day where you and I have the same experience. And then we talk about it a year later and I say, no, we were both petting a dog. And you say, Scott, 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 that was a giraffe. Mm -hmm. But neither but neither of us took a picture. So those those worlds can live together even though they're they conflict until we're forced to. Somebody produces the video footage and then the other person has to adjust their memory. In other words, simulation theory is in the process of debunking evolution in Scott's lifetime. I was first introduced to Scott's commentary through his Dilbert cartoons in the early 1990s, but rediscovered him during Trump's presidential run. And in 2017, I began to notice him discussing the simulation argument. You know, regular readers of my blog and followers of my Periscope, that I sometimes talk about uh, philosopher Nick Bostrom's idea that we are a computer simulation. I'd heard a little about the concept before, but Scott's persistence on the topic made me give it a deeper look. I got into it a little bit uh, on Twitter yesterday with somebody who was accusing somebody else of claiming that intelligent design was real. And I mentioned that simulation theory is already, in scientific terms, largely, in my opinion, debunked evolution. <laughs> now, I know you hate it, 75% of the people on here just went, what? It reminded me of the Let There Be Light short story I'd read in the late 90s. It was easy to see that by accepting the simulation argument, 
you must acknowledge that there is a creator, and its popularity in the science community was a massive development. It moved the atheist community closer to God. Scott's discussions on the topic came at just the right time for me. Our family was going through a serious trial, and we were missing something in our life to help us deal with it. The simulation was the trigger for me, among a few other factors, to continue my search for God that I first sensed through physics, and I ultimately found him. And one of the unexpected surprises of this process was to see how this science fiction concept was forcing the intellectual community to reconsider the possibility of a creator. And so one of the first non-physicists that I talked to, or that I, I read, reflected on my comment, said, if the simulation hypothesis is valid, then we open the door to eternal life and resurrection and things that formerly have been discussed in the realm of religion. And so it starts to break down a very funny barrier between the, what people often think is the conflict between science and the conflict between faith. Which leads us back to the question, is science fiction bringing us closer to God? The answer is remarkably yes, and the vehicle is the simulation. This concept, first popularized through science fiction, has the power to reintroduce the idea of a creator into communities that have long rejected the notion of God as foolish. Today, largely because of the simulation, some of the world's biggest thinkers are openly discussing the possibility of God. Do you believe in God? I believe, I believe there's some there's some explanation for this universe, which you might call God. I think there's the question of what's outside simulation is really interesting. That's the other way of, because like what created us? What started the whole thing? It's the modern version of asking what, the, what is God? What does God look like? What, you know, it's, it's asking what does the programmer look like? So to all you Americans of faith out there, the next time an atheist or an evolution zealot mocks your belief in God, let them know that even their militant leader, Richard Dawkins, the face of modern evolution, is beginning to entertain the idea that maybe, just maybe, there is a creator. If the world is a simulation, if we're living in a simulation, that there's a programmer-like uh, creature that we can ask questions of. There's okay, this, well, this, I mean, let's, let's pursue the idea that we're living in a, a simulation, which is not not totally ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Red Pilled America is an iHeartRadio original podcast. It's owned and produced by Patrick Corelci and me, Adriana Cortez of Inform Ventures. Now you can get ad-free access to our entire archive of episodes by becoming a Backstage subscriber. To subscribe, visit redpilledamerica.com and click join in the top menu. That's redpilledamerica.com and click join in the top menu. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.